Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are going to knock out another podcast for you. We got a couple of things that um, we have been trying just recently. Uh, you're going to see them either. You're going to see them coming out as podcasts pretty quick. Um, we're going to be doing one actually tonight. It is a live podcast recording. We did one uh, last week. We did one. Um, was real. I enjoyed it. I think our guests, we had a guest, which is new for us too. I think they enjoyed it. Our friends from Standing Stone Kennels uh, came on, Ethan and Cat Pippet. Uh, tonight we're doing one with Jay Lowry, good friend of mine, uh, Raglan, Gun Dogs, English Cocker Spaniels. We'll be digging into those. Um, this is, we're going to go back in this episode, we're going to do a, more of a traditional podcast of what we've been doing. Um, this one has a bit of an international flair to it. Uh, I got an email last week, late last week, uh, responded back to the guy's name is Julian. Um, I responded back and let him know, you know, I, he sent me quite a book. Um, and, and I said, I was on my phone and I just didn't know that I could answer it thoroughly. So I wanted to email him back. I sent him an email and I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to dig into this on Monday. So then I dug into it today, um, opened it up, started messaging him back. And I realized he really did have quite a narrative here. So instead of me trying to respond back to it, although I, and I, I did respond back to it and told him, you know what, I think we're going to do a podcast. He actually, at the end of his message, um, threw it out there and said, you know, if you're, if you're more comfortable doing this, if you'd be willing to and more comfortable doing this as a podcast, that'd be great too. I thought about it and I realized it's probably easier for me to touch on stuff more thoroughly. Uh, it, so the value of the, the answer is probably going to go up by doing it that way. The other thing I, I thought was it's probably a good one for everybody else to hear too. Um, I think a lot of times questions that come in, I don't make podcasts out of every question. I, I, I don't know how many questions we get. It's a lot of them. Um, and I think it's great. It's growing. I think that's that was what we wanted. Um, at times I go, wow, a lot of questions, but um, that's, it's perfect. It's exactly why we're doing it is it's telling me that we're helping more people. So um, I decided that this, this is probably a good one. Um, ben and I are going to record a couple podcasts today. Um, rainy day outside. We're not going to be probably going out and filming because of, we're not going to be training because of, we're not going to film in the rain. Um, and I'll talk, I can talk about Bella in another, at another time here, but Bella, um, ongoing series that we're doing, um, she's going to have a day of kind of rest inside, uh, coming off of a weekend, which we didn't do a whole lot, but she did a lot. And I can explain that more later as well, but let's get into, uh, Julian's question here. Um, I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read the email. Uh, it is long. And so I'll get, I'm going to read through it and do my best to not get distracted. Oftentimes halfway through the emails, I like to throw in little sidebars and I get distracted pretty easily, but um, I'm going to read through it to give you, hopefully give you a, a true feeling and gist of what the message is. Then what I'll do is I'll go back and break it down. And, and when I started to actually answer this question, it's exactly how I started doing it. I literally read it paragraph by paragraph and almost replied back in sequence to his questions. And I think it's because it's long enough, it's a big enough email with enough stuff going on in it that if I read it once and just replied back to it, I probably would not cover everything. I certainly won't cover it sequentially. So in, a, in its own right, this is a mindset or a process that probably can be related to how I, how I start thinking about dogs. Um, you know, as, as I start processing um, each individual dog that we're working with and training, my mind is constantly assessing different parts pieces. It's very fluid. It's always moving. 
um, things they're doing well, things they're not doing well, making notes of it. Um, I don't do as good of a no job taking like physical notes. I do a lot of mental notes. I've been starting to use my phone a lot more to make. I literally have lists and lists and lists. I have notes of notes that I have in my phone. And I just use that, that I don't know if it's an app or what it is, but it's just yeah, notes. Yeah. It comes on your iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. So I use that and I'm using it more and more and more, um, probably because it's convenient for me, timing wise. Um, I get something to come to my mind. I used to always say, I'll think, I'll remember that. And then I go, what the hell was that thing that I was going to do? And I just forget. So I've been making, I used my notes three times a day uh, for different little projects that I needed to make sure. Now they got a little thing. You can make a check mark and you can check it off and you can feel good about it. So that's something that I've been doing a lot of. Now this is a question that broken down, there's lots of little talking points. So let's get into the question. So it says, hi, Jeremy. Wasn't sure where to send this freaking novel of a message. So apologize for crowding up your business email. I totally understand if you can't find time to read through it and respond. First of all, I want to thank you incredibly much for all the material you put on YouTube and your website. Both me and my girlfriend are currently watching Live with Spry and following Bella Be Good as new videos come out. Your puppy training and foundation DVDs have also been invaluable. So again, thank you so much for what you're doing for other people and their dogs. We will certainly do everything we can to spread your name and information to people who need it here in Norway. Backstory. We have a working lab named Loki, who is almost nine months old. His lines are strongly bred towards competition. Copper birch, Labradors in Ireland, among others. But the kennel who breeds them here in Norway sells a lot of puppies to ordinary families, seemingly with great success. Loki is the only male in his litter with three sisters. My main goal is to train Loki primarily for upland hunting, ptarmigan, and as an adventure dog. Prior to getting him, I purchased the Wild Rose training book, DVDs, and started planning. I thought I had my goals set and solid training plan, but along the way, I committed the deadly sin of mixing up training styles, watching crappy YouTube videos on the importance of chew toy training and developing bite inhibition and so on. As the months went by, some of our training was going great and some habits formed that certainly should have been avoided. For instance, a massive chewing habit, especially towards rocks and branches for some reason. A month ago, I stumbled across your YouTube page and everything started to click. Your thorough explanations regarding the importance of consistency and solid framework when raising the puppy also gave me a more complete understanding of the Wild Rose training materials. So currently, we're doing quite the cleanup work on fundamental things that should have been implemented from day the day we got him and more consistency. Our main focus at the moment is, number one, patience. Nothing before he calms down. If he's about to boil over and we stop whatever we're doing and he sits until we're calm and I move and I manage to reconnect with him. Number two, heel position. It seems firmly, it seems he firmly believes that the correct position is belly next to the knee, no matter how many 180 degree turns I, we do. He also drifts forward as we go. Hold conditioning. His retrieves and delivery, this is number three, hold conditioning. His retrieves and delivery was really promising before he started teething. At around six to seven months, we were back on some basic retrieves and all of a sudden he plays keep away and refuses to deliver. Fortunately, he's doing good progress on hold conditioning. Number four, tying out. We did this back when he was 10 weeks, but he still doesn't quite give you give to neck pressure and has surprisingly ability to to zone out corrections. We've set it up so that he has 
two 15-minute heel sessions a day, different locations around the neighborhood. One hold conditioning, usually three good holds, place training, and tie-out. My two main concerns regarding where we are at now is this. Exercise versus training. I worry that I might be overtraining him and that he's not getting the physical exercise needed. In the last month, I've noticed that Loki's body language seems flat when training and disengages himself from the exercise. On the other side, I don't want to do things with him that might enforce bad habits, which at the moment makes our training pretty limited. As summer is around the corner, I also worry that we will spend our time stuck in yard work and not able to take him out to the woods for walks and training sessions without him going into manic mode. I would love to get some advice from you regarding what you think I should do, continue to focus on. Also, feel free to use this material as a podcast or Facebook Live if you'd wish. All the best, Julian, Therese, and Loki. So, it's a long message. And so, and this isn't the longest message I've gotten. I've gotten a lot longer ones. Um, I think there's a, I think the guy did a wonderful job of, of, of laying it out. Um, first off, he, his, his gr- grammatical, what would that word be? His grammar's good. Grammar. <laughs> dude's got, the dude's got writing skills. So, uh, he did a nice job. Sometimes I read messages that are short. Sometimes I read messages that are long. They're so hard to decipher. I need to have a decoding uh, the ability to decode it because it's just, it's a jumbled up. And I think part of it has to do a lot with uh, autocorrects. And I think a lot of it has to do with, we use our phones so much these days. So that's a just a communication error and it makes it very difficult and I'm guilty of it. So I'll send people messages at times and then I'll get a message back from them and they'll have a question and I'll look back on the answer that I gave them and I'll go, what the hell was that? Like, it's a total word that got thrown in there because I was thumbing it out on my phone and I didn't realize because I didn't reread it and I didn't really smooth it over. This guy, uh, Julian, put some time, unless he's a very, very good writer, he put some time into this. He edited it. He did, I, I would say he clearly did this on his computer. I don't think this is a phone message. So that helps. Because there's so much to sift through, uh, at least it's it's you know it's set up pretty nice. So, but what I would do is, because of the size of it, because of the topics he's brought up, and because of the things, I look at it and I go, I could just, I could give you my gut feel and just fire back an answer, but I probably would have missed. If I don't know how many bullet points I would make, we're gonna we'll, we'll count them in this podcast. But as I go back through it item by item, there's probably gonna be a handful of things that I comment to. I probably would miss 50% of them. I would guess maybe right around that anyway. And so that's another thing with communication that I think is important. Now all this stuff is us communicating, me and Julian, um, you and whoever you're talking with, in in this situation you got to remember that dogs it's real important for dogs communication is key and so the extra barrier that's thrown up is they don't speak english um so you know julian's from norway he's i don't know norwegians must speak english uh but i think you know if we were talking about another language over in europe uh i would say and, and there's tons of them i mean there's just a lot of different languages and that creates an issue. Like, even if they speak English, even, you know, not this isn't in Julian's case, but let's say someone from France or Germany or Russia or somewhere uh, doesn't even have, you know, Russia doesn't necessarily have to be European, we're not talking, but anywhere, Chinese, um, name a, a, another language 
and plug it in. If though, if someone of that native tongue messaged me for a question, we've got a major hurdle because they're speaking, trying to speak two languages. I don't speak their language. Ich spreche Deutsch a bit because I took a little bit of German in high school, but I mean, that's it. Like, sehr gut. It's not real good. Uh, so what I would do is I'm, re I'm a one language guy and some guy or girl is sending me a message in two languages and they're trying to get it clear to me. Well, Christ, we might have a hard time just communicating and understanding each other. Put yourself in that dog's position. So like the dog doesn't speak English at all. So it's a one language thing. Us on the other end are trying to communicate with two languages and some of us speak that language okay. Some of us don't speak it at all. Very few speak it great. And so the dog is at a disadvantage. We are at a disadvantage of communicating with them. So I just think it's all the more important to try to understand that, overcoming that to begin with. Now, we don't have that issue here with, with Norway. We don't have this issue with Julian. But let's go back and start breaking it down. Um, so the first, the first is intro. The first part of this, um, I, my response back would be, thanks for the support. Like, I really appreciate you watching Live with Spry. Bella, be good. I'm glad it brings value. Um, that was the whole purpose of doing them. It's why we continue to do the series that we're doing. We've got inside the workshop now. I think that brings value. Uh, the live um, po podcast, like we're doing right now, we're doing not doing this one live, but we're going to be doing one tonight. I hope those bring value. So I appreciate you. Um, I appreciate you consuming this stuff and allowing it to become part of your training. Now I'm going to touch. I'm going to go from that to the idea of I'm going to skip. Um, so the next part was your backstory, where the dog came from. I won't even skip. I'm going to stay in order here. So I think you know I'm not familiar with Copper Birch Labradors as far as me training them. I am familiar with the kennel. And so one of the things that I commented back when I replied back was, you know, I think you've got good stock. From what it sounds like, you've got a really nice, you've got really, you've got some nice genetics. There's, I, I you know, there's, there's that that name, um, I've seen in in plenty of pedigrees over here and over there that really turn out nicely. So you've got good stock. That's something that's important. Um, and and I don't think I always tell people it's not breed specific. Dog training is not breed specific. Um, you know, most dogs are capable of more than we'll ever get out of them, even the finest of the fine, from the roughest of the rough that we know nothing about background-wise. You, we, we can always get stuff out of them um, if we speak their language. So we're kind of circling back to the idea of, you know, how, how we communicate. The best genetics in the world if can get screwed up really quickly because there's only so there's there's inherent traits and then there's formed behavior and that's it's no different than a kid um the a kid from the nicest family in the world um the best moral compasses in the world if you put them into a, a, a environment that is filled with crime and sin they're they're likely to take they're likely to take some of that on because of the cultural impact i talk a lot about cultural impacts so the genetics are important what we do with them is probably more important so then he says, my main goal is to train um, for Upland. He's, he's hunting ptarmigan, which I would love to see that, uh, and an adventure dog. And when he says adventure dog, I think he's meaning hiking, biking. He's going to do stuff in the outdoors with the dog. Um, 
He said he bought Wild Rose's training book, DVDs, and started planning. I own them all. Um, I We talked about the book uh, a couple podcasts ago. That's one of the things that I, I use as almost a dictionary to refer back to. Um, he talks about the DVDs, and he started planning. I've watched their DVDs. I, I, have, I own their DVDs. Um, so I think now one of the things that really that really kind of is important here is he says he committed the deadly sin of mixing up training styles and wa by watching crappy YouTube videos on the importance of chew toy training. Now I do think that here's where I I agree and I disagree. I do think you should mix up training styles because I listened I heard this the other day. Um, from a guy here in the states, Robin Watson. He's a uh, he is from the UK, but he lives here in the states, and he talked about the one of the things that he thinks sets trainers apart overseas is they don't follow a program. And I I think to a degree, um, you know, I, I think this idea of following programs is interesting. I've had people reach out to me and send me a message and say, "Could you send me some more information on this, this, and this?" I'm 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 searching out and trying to decide what program I'm going to use for training my next dog. And my response back to that person was, I don't think I would pick a program. I think I would try to research as much stuff as possible and take what works for you and use it. What doesn't work, don't use. I've watched and in, in we've talked about this. We're going to continue to talk about it more. And this is to Robin's point is, you know, I don't know that the program, I don't know. It, there's no one program that works for every dog. Um, there's no one program that works for a single dog. It's a variety of stuff. So I don't think you should be afraid of mixing up training styles. What I do think you should avoid is watching crappy YouTube videos. And that's in your words. But And I totally get it. And, and you said it's the these videos talked about the importance of training toy, chew toys for training, developing bite inhibition, and so on. I think it's nonsense, I agree, um, to to train a habit into a dog like chewing. And I do think it is habit forming. So you are experienced. So you're a perfect example of the idea. So I'm going to follow that with as months went by, some of our training was going great and some habits formed that certainly should have been avoided. For instance, massive chewing habits, especially towards rocks, branches for some reason. So you saw that you saw where you saw somebody on YouTube that said, Hey, I don't know anything about me. This is me to saying this now. I know nothing about using chew toys for training to develop bite inhibition, uh, way over my head. I don't use chew toys. And the simple reason is, is because it trains the dog to chew. And the last thing I want dogs to do is chew stuff up. The last thing I want a retriever to have is a habit of wanting to chew on dummies or any objects for that matter. So that that you know there we we talk about the idea of the importance of always understanding that they're learning and we're going to be forming habits one way or the other and so we got to avoid those you know that now you've you've experienced it it's something that you can learn from i hope and now you get this mentality of what's the unintended consequence of everything we do i think in today's society unintended consequences uh come up Oftentimes with we have things that have, you know, good intentions, good ideas, and then we do it or whoever does it. And then some there wasn't a lot of foresight in it. And all of a sudden now it's something else happens that creates maybe a bigger problem uh, that can be talked. You can talk that can be discussed 
I mean, it could be connected to anything. It's a lot of things in society, not just dog training. But so you've found out the importance of big picture vision and going, what if I do this? A might happen, but what about B, C, and D down the road? And so it's this mindset mentality of always trying to think a few steps down the road to understand. Now, it's hard to do if you've never been down the road before. It's a much easier process for someone who's been down the road and made tons of mistakes. I'll raise my hand right now because I've done it. I've made tons of mistakes. The important part of it is do you learn from them? Do you not repeat them? Do you change it? Or do you just do it again? And so that's, I think, the education piece in any trainer's lifestyle and evolution. We're all going to make mistakes. I still do. It's a matter of what do I do with those mistakes? I oftentimes look at mistakes as opportunities to learn. Um, that is a mentality and a mindset that, again, it goes deeper than just dog training. I think it can be applied to so many things in life. Now, it says, month ago, I stumbled across your YouTube page. Everything started to click. Again, thank you for that. Your thorough explanations regarding the importance of consistency and solid framework when raising the puppy also gave me a more complete understanding of Wild Rose training materials. I think that's an interesting statement because, you know, Wild Rose... I, I have a lot of history with those guys. I've done, I've raised dogs with them, um, bred dogs with them in the past, um, owned and trained a lot of dogs out of their kennel in the past. Um, they're great friends of ours. And I look at it as when I started out, they're pretty influential on me. Um, their, their methodology, their style of training was, was the first I'd ever seen like that. Uh, it's what prompted me and, and motivated me and inspired me to continue to dig much deeper into that training style. And when I say that training style, I mean the style that uses a technique without an e-collar, no shock collars, uh, the style that uses positive reinforcement, but not treat training. Um, the idea of just, it, it really goes back to you know, the reality of it is, is it's a very UK style. It's a very um, European, uh, you know, England, Scotland, Ireland, those field trial dogs. Um, those are the dogs that I have completely gravitated towards over the last 17 years, 18 years now. And that this style works really well. Uh, I don't think this style is limited to that type of dog. I think this style works with every dog. And so, but I think it's a personal choice that, you have to be very patient. You have to be probably, uh, I don't think you cannot be patient with any training style. I think patience is a really uh, underrated uh, skill when it comes to raising dogs. But when it comes back to this idea of connecting to the understanding of the wild rose training material, I'm really, I, it makes me really proud that you say that because I look at it and I go, I find a lot of value in the tools from wild rose. That book that we, that we highlighted here a couple weeks ago, that is not a light read. Uh, you know, one of the things about that book is there's so many rules. And I don't know that I do that well with that many rules. I prefer to try to simplify some things. So we have a very, uh, the training techniques and styles are real, they, they parallel each other a lot. I think when you say that by following some of our stuff, it helped you understand more of the Wild Rose training materials, I think I'm really happy with that because I go, it's we're not it's not the same. What I'm doing isn't the same as theirs. What they're doing isn't the same as another guy and the same as another guy. There's just so many different little twists on it. But the core general focus, 
I think direction wise is very similar. So I'm glad that it, our, some of our stuff helped helped complete the understanding part of some of the other stuff that you've consumed. And I would recommend other stuff. Um, you know, uh, David Latham's videos. I just, I just watched, rewatched them. Um, he's got two part series. Um, I, I ordered them from England. Uh, I watched them and patience was my takeaway from that was just the rep repetition of just, he was methodical, slow, over and over and over and particularly with delivery particularly with putting the dog on and off lead i mean those are simple simple little things that was the biggest takeaway i just got done watching um a place board training video with ian openshaw that was given to me by a really good friend and a great trainer craig corp another connection through wild rose of mine but craig gave me that video to watch and tonight that's inspired me now to talk to jay jay does business and um, I'm going to dig into it more with him, find out more about him in his connections to Ian Openshaw over in, in who did this video. Um, John Halstead. I just watched another old video from John Halstead training the Drake's Headway. That was a, you know, all these videos have just little takeaways. Uh, read a book. Um, I'm reading a book right now by Mike Gould that Mike Gould wrote, um, Training the Shooting Labrador or the Labrador Shooting Dog, I think it's called. That's giving me some, just refreshing some things, confirming some things. Um, but, but it's the idea of all of these sources of information are really intertwined and connected. And so I'm glad that, I'm glad that I, I want you to, I want you to, you say you committed the deadly sin of mixing up training styles. I quote that. I want you to you commit the sin of mixing up training styles. Just be, be open to them. And then pick and choose. So let's get into your, let's get in. So that's the intro. Let's start into the heart of this. So currently we're doing quite a bit of cleanup work, which is what you got to do. Sometimes we run into issues. And uh, when we run into issues, we, we, we take steps backwards. And so that's what you're doing. You're doing cleanup work on fundamental things. Uh, patience. Number one, you highlight. Nothing happens before he calms down. If he's about to boil over, we stop whatever we're doing until he sits calm and I manage to reconnect with him. You're doing it right. So this goes back to uh, my, my, one of my takeaways from David Latham's video. Just slow. Just slow everything down. Um, I also think the key, so I think it's two things. I think by doing that, I don't think, you really didn't have a question about it. I think you're telling me you're doing it. I'm agreeing with it, and I'm agreeing with it for this reason. In the moment, it will help. I, we did it last week with Bella where things were going very good in our session. We this will be one of the one of the. Uh, Bella be good series videos, but things are going very good. I had other dogs with, and we were clicking along, and things were going good. And I was feeling really good. We were doing stuff that you know I was challenging her a bit. She was excelling. She was doing a really nice job. And the next thing I know, she like spun up to the point where I went, "Oh my gosh!" I almost lost her. When I say I almost lost her, like she almost got out of control. She was off lead and in 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 position, but she just about I I call it boiling over, and you say it right here about to boil over, we stop. We had to stop and bring her back down. So basically I turned the heat down on the stove and I let her kind of stop the boil. But I recognized right away and I talk about it in the video and I told Ben, I said, we got to slow the hell down because I'm, I'm moving, things are going, we're going downhill, we got momentum right now. We are not chugging real hard. We're not working our way fighting an uphill battle. We're on the downhill slope and things are, we could take the foot off the gas, we're just cruising. And I have to realize 
you got to keep you got to have you, you got to have control you got to be able to feather that brake at times because if you get going too fast and all of a sudden you come up on a curve you're screwed you're going off the hill you're shooting off the road so i need so it helps in that moment that moment of boil over but what it also does is, is in the big picture it allows the dog if you do this all the time the dog starts to think that that is normal and that's why dogs a lot of people ask, what are you doing to these dogs? They, a lot of people think it's genetic, and you probably have it in some, some, to a point in your genetics. I see that as a partial genetic thing, but I have seen some of the best bred dogs in the world in the wrong hands and culture early on, and they're psycho. They're literally psycho. And I think it, and, and some of the best bred dogs are more psycho than the other ones. And the, the, the thing about it is, is when I say the best bread, it's from, you know, like throwing like and dogs that have proven themselves. It's because they were in hands of trainers that got the most out of them. Got, were, took these dogs that were relatively high octane and were able to have them shut down and slow down. Not shut down, but slow down when they needed to. And so I think that comes from cultural impacts and that means more often than not you're moving slow more often than not patience is the thing that has that happens and it is the biggest hurdle we face in today's society and watch there's a our pastor did a thing this weekend uh i'm going to do a podcast on it i took a bunch of notes during it i watched it online but i'm going to do a podcast on it it's not gonna be a religion thing but i don't care if it was a religion thing i think faith is really important and and I'm not here to tell you what your faith should be. I got, faith. I have a real strong faith, and in this pod or in this uh, sermon thing that we watched, the weekly church or whatever you want to call it, the the key, the main one of the main points was talking about slowing how how this these quarantine times and all this COVID stuff is forcing some of us to slow down, and how positive that can be how good it can be for us. And I just think I totally agree with it. And so it's a hard, hard, hard thing to do in society today. And the, re the reality is, is the dog today versus the dog in 1800 versus the dog in 1900, when, they, when we talk about how times change, the dogs haven't changed a bit. They're the exact same. It's just we're faster paced now. And we expect them to fit into our molds. And I don't think that works that way. So patience, that was a long, long, we beat the, we beat the, beat the old dog on that one. Number two, heel position. This is an interesting one. He seems, he's firmly believes that his correct, his, his correct position is belly next to my knee, no matter how many 180 turns we do. Also drifts forward as we go. This is, I don't know if I talked about this, but I thought about it last week. Um, I did some heel work with Bella on the four wheeler. And so on the four-wheeler, she was on lead. I was driving down the driveway at a pretty quick pace. I wanted her position to be shoulder to my knee, even as I sat on the four-wheeler, much like I do when I'm healing, when I'm walking. And I realized that she wanted to be shoulder to the front left tire. So she wanted to be about what you're talking about. Her midsection to even her hind quarter was in line with my knee, my left knee. And, I, and so she's about three quarters of a body length too far ahead. 
So I continued to correct her. I mean, I'm going up and down the driveway. My driveway is a quarter of a mile. I'm going back and forth to my shop. And so I'm going down the driveway and I'm correcting her and I'm correcting her and I'm correcting her. And I'm slowing down. Now, I'm not 180. I would if I was walking, but I'm on a four-wheeler. I can't do a 180. So I'm hitting the brakes and I'm slowing down. And she's responding. I mean, she's she's reading me. She's reading the four-wheeler. She's feeling it. When the four-wheeler slows, she slows. But she's always three-quarters of a length ahead. So I thought, after doing this two or three times, I went, I wonder if I try to get her to heal with her front shoulder at the back wheel. Not the not my knee, that's ideally where I want her. Her shoulder and head in line with my left knee. But I know she has a tendency to be a half to three quarters of a body length ahead. I trained a dog named Tito, a friend of ours, Jeff Forsberg owns, and he was the same way. He was a half step ahead all the time. And it started out because that's what it started out as. And it, we just never were able to shake it. We got good. We got a little bit better. We used some stairs. We went up and down stairs. That was a real black and white indicator of you don't step up on the stair until I step up on the stair. He did better after we did stairs. We just didn't do enough stairs with him. I didn't have enough time. We needed to do more, more of that. I think it would have helped. Again, it's that consistency factor. But this dog, Bella, has not been a half-step forward dog, but all of a sudden on the four-wheeler, she was half a body length. And so what I decided at that point was I'm going to try something different. I'm going to heel her back where her front shoulder and head are in line with my back wheel on the four-wheeler. That's my, in my mind, that's where I want her to be. So what did I do? What did I, do? I brought her back to that spot. I told her to heel. If she moved forward, I gave her a little bump. I corrected it. And then we started driving slowly. And as soon as she drifted forward, I'd tap her, just a little tap. She doesn't need much physical. And i just tap her and ah, get back, heel, heel. And she'd fade back for a split second. And then she'd slowly drift back her half length. And then she'd lock right in. And so all of a sudden I went all the way up and down the driveway and she was in perfect position. And then I turned around and I went back down it. And she was in perfect position. So I went two full, I went from correcting her 10 times between my house and the shop, slowing down 10 different times. I went down to the shop. I went from the shop back to the house, from the shop house down to the shop, went back and forth two times and had one correction in the beginning. When she moved up off of that back wheel, I corrected her. She went back to it and then I let her, then I let her do what she wanted to do so badly. And that was move a half of length. And so she moved a half a length off of the back left tire. And by God, she was in perfect position the entire time. And I let her be. So now what I'm saying is, instead of, instead of me trying to get her to be in perfect position all the time, I'm not going to do that anymore. Because every time I do that, she's, half a, she's whatever the distance is out of position. Well, guess what? I'm going to change my expectations or my, my ideal position. And I'm going to say, stay behind me just a smidge. And when she doesn't do that and she's a half length ahead she's in the right position all the time now the now now that's okay what you have to be careful of is she doesn't take it again i'll give for some reason with some dogs they you just i can't get them to give me a hundred percent but i can give them to give me 99 percent of it 100 percent of the time so i'm gonna bite the bullet and say you know what i'll settle for it Instead, I'll outsmart the, I'll outfox the fox here, and I'll go. Okay, you get back a step. That's ideal. And when you want to take one step forward, you're in perfect position, and I, you don't even know it. So that's what I'm doing now with you. You're doing 180s, and that's what I would tell people to do. Do 180s. You're saying he also drifts forward as we go. This is again that situation. You've got a dog that drifts forward. 
set it up so that when they drift forward, they're in the right position. It's it's a lot like it's kind of like anything else we do that you got to do it a lot to get good at it, and then you get this little feel and you get this little swag about you. You know, if you're a really good putter on a green and you see the hole and you see your ball, you look at that. And if you've never putted before, you hit the ball directly towards the hole because you go, well, that's where it's got to go. So you hit it towards the hole. If you're a good putter, you look at it and you go, it's four inches to the right. And you line up, you step up, you hit the ball with a nice pace. And by God, it curves four inches to the left and it drops in the hole. So you start to read these situations. And now I'm going to start looking at my dogs and going, I'm going to read their personalities a little bit. I am going to, from the beginning, work to get it as perfect as possible so that my adjustment can be smaller when I need to adjust it. But when I get to the certain point, I'm going to take their habits. Some of them might be because I created them. Some of them might be just the way those dogs are. And I'm going to make it so that my, I'm going to try to make it so that my fine-tuned adjustments, my calibrating at the end is small. But I'll not get to the point of frustration to say, you have to do it exactly how I want to do it. I'm going to say, let's get pretty damn close. And then when we get to the finalized point where I feel like I'm going to just make a, a cute little tiny adjustment and make that tweak so that I can get what I need to get out of them. So I think you need to, I think you can keep that in mind. I do think later down here, it's, um, I'm going to skip to number four because this is tie-outs. It says, we did this when he was around 10 weeks old, but he still doesn't quite give the pressure on the neck. Now, I, I would be interested in what that means a little bit more um, because you follow that with, he's, he has a surprising ability to zone out correction. Usually, zoning out correction, and this ties to heel work because the dog gets out of position, you're going to put a correction on. The correction comes to pressure to the neck. So we're using slips. Uh, I like a little slip chain. That's very sharp and crisp. It's also audible. So I like you watch the puppy DVD and the foundation DVD. I use that little slip chain with some dogs because it's audible. My We have the adjustable leader. It's a leash and collar design that very similar to the slip chain. It's just this, this is adjustable. It's a little bit less pressure. Uh, I like it. I, it's been a really, really powerful tool to transition to the dog off lead. That's what a primary reason I use it. But the slip chain would be before that. And the slip chain, if put on correctly, puts on very crisp, sharp pressure if you put with with not a lot of strength. I don't have to be super strong to do it. And it also adds in the audible part. And a lot of times you get a good sharp correction, then you just need audible and the dog responds. But what I see happen a lot is there's too much correction. So that to the point of he he is the ability to zone out corrections. A lot of times it's because we build up a tolerance. We never go to zero. We never turn the pressure off completely. So if we don't turn the pressure off completely and you're at a level three or four of pressure and you don't even know it and they, they it's their base point, it's their, it's their baseline. They think that's zero. So now instead of going to 10 to get a change, you gotta go to 13 or 14. And so now you're putting way more pressure on than you need to to get the change. And sometimes people don't get there. I always tell, I always say you need to get to the point of correction that changes the behavior. And then from there, you're, if you're consistent, the behavior will change because habits start to form. And that allows you to actually use less and less and less pressure to get the response. But the, the caveat to this is in none of that works if you're putting pressure on them all the time because they become numb to it. And none of it works if you don't reach 10 or a change of 10 incremental 
numbers. So if you're starting at four and you don't get to 14, you don't get a change. If you're starting at six and you don't get to 16, you don't get a change. If you, so if you're at starting at six all the time and you only get up to nine, you never, the dog's not going to change because you didn't increase by 10. Now, I don't think it, I'm using this just as numbers to make, have, try to make sense, but zero to 10. Zero is no pressure at all, and that's when the dog is doing everything right. There's no reason to put pressure on them. Even the, even the slightest tension is, is that's a, might be a two or three for some dogs. So, I mean, it's got to be zero. And then when a correction happens, it's got to change the dog's behavior. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It doesn't have to be a 25, but it's got to be a 10. And so where is that 10? I don't know if I don't have your dog. That's something you have to develop and understand and find out. So it, the problem with this idea of him not responding and having the ability to zone out corrections is one of two things probably. Either there's too much pressure on it all the time and it's become numb to it. So that's just understanding, okay, zero or 10, zero or 10, zero or 10. Zero is those two links on a slip chain touching each other. Absolutely no pressure whatsoever. It's just the weight of the chain around the dog's neck. You move the links one, one notch, you separate those, those rings, one notch, that's pressure. So you have to understand that. And then the other part is not putting enough pressure on to change. And I can take the youngest little kid, I mean, little kids. Now, Lillian, my Lillian, not her because she doesn't understand the concept. She's 15 months old. She doesn't understand the concept of timing. She doesn't understand the concept of anything like that. So I can't do it with her. But if you've got a kid that can comprehend stuff, four years old, three, probably four or five years old, I could give them the big, the, a big, strong dog, uh, you know, a dog that they could ride like a horse. I could give it to them at the end of a slip, and I could give them the lead. And if I explain to them timing and I explain to them the idea of putting the pressure on and off correctly, they could handle they can, now, they can't handle a dog that doesn't know what the hell it's doing, but they can handle a dog that understands the pressure on and off. And that's that's what my point with that is, is you don't have to be a muscle man. You don't have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger strength to put that kind of... No dog takes that much pressure. None. I, I mean, I've, I've and, and most people don't realize how soft their dogs really are. You, I can't tell you how many people have come to this workshop that said, my dog is nothing like yours. It's a complete opposite. It's hard headed. It's bold. It has, and, and they're dead wrong. Their dog, most of the times those dogs don't have a lot of respect for the person that's holding on to the other end of the lead. That's 100% true. A lot of times those people don't have very good timing. That's 100% true. A lot of times those people don't, are afraid to put too much pressure on the dog. I, I don't like beating up dogs at all. Watching my videos. I've had people, there's a heel work video out there, that one with Kyle Middleton. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of people go, oh, you're, you're, you're hurting the dog. I mean, they come after me on YouTube. I don't care. I'll respond to it because I'll defend everything we do because I, I show it all live. I show it on purpose because I want people to see how it really happens. I don't want to see it. I don't want people to see it edited. So I had a lot of people, you know, you're, you're way too abusive on these dogs. The dog yipped. It's in pain. The dog yipped because it was startled. The dog was surprised that someone on the other end of the lead decided to be the boss at that moment, and, and it was crisp and clean. And from that point on, I put almost no pressure on the dog. And the dog responded just beautifully. And the, and the owner is a friend of ours, the, dog, the guy who owns the dog, and he, 
he, I, I've messaged back and forth with him. He said, man, I just can't believe it. I just can't believe the difference. And now it's in his hands. I'll, I'll, there is nothing I will do to a dog that I won't let you do to me. I'll put it out there. Now, if you try to put pressure on me and you suck, you put too much pressure on, you don't release, you don't, you do it, you do it improperly, I'll probably cop a little attitude towards you as well. What do you think your dog does? Why, why wouldn't your dog do that? But if, you do, if you're fair with me, you'll get my respect. And that's exactly what we're trying to do with these guys. So I think with Julian and Loki, it's just, and, and that dog's only, I think, nine months old here. Where, where did I see the age on this puppy? Um, Backstory probably. Nine months old. Nine months old. There is not a nine-month-old lab out there that you have to put that much pressure on. They're soft. They're real soft. So, uh, okay, now, so that touches on heel positioning and tie-out. The last one is number three. It's hold conditioning. His retrieves and delivery were promising before he started teething. At six to seven months, we were back on some basic retrieves, and all of a sudden he plays keep away and refuses to deliver. Fortunately, he's doing progress with hold conditioning. So I do think hold conditioning... So what I love about this is you had very promising delivery prior to. That means the dog had a nice delivery. The dog's got it in him. You didn't train him to do that. You didn't screw it up either. Now, at six to seven months old, something happened. Now, the puppy, after teething, so it's probably done teething now, um, somehow you got into a, a scenario where he plays keep away and refuses to deliver. That's a big red flag. It's time where we say, okay, let's pump the brakes, stop the retrieving, Let's, you, you went through teething, you got back to retrieving, and now all of a sudden you got a problem. Let's not continue to form that habit and allow it. Let's change the scenario. Uh, hold conditioning will fix it. But once you start hold conditioning, there's no more retrieving, and you have to see hold conditioning through 100%. And that will fix that. That will fix this uh, keep away game. The other thing that we got to do is when you go back to retrieving, we're not going to start at Z. We're going to start at A. We're not going to start at 100. We're going to start at 1. And that means we're going to get into scenarios where it's easy for the dog to succeed, hard for them to fail. Hallways with the doors closed. Out and back. Out and back. Out and back. It's not one day of it. It's not, we're going to do it. Oh, he did good today. Let's go out in the front yard. Let's go out into the 40 acres next door. Let's go out into you know, places that have a lot of distractions. We're going to go back to square one. And we're going to master it. Then we're going to pick square one up and we're going to move to square two and master it. And then we're going to pick that up and move to three and so on. Until we have the understanding and belief that this is so perfect. It's so habitual. It's becoming ingrained in the dog that we can move it into other locations. Slowly but surely adding distractions without those distractions being more powerful than the habit of out and back. And if you run into an issue, take a step back. So don't ever be afraid to go backwards. But we get you're gonna start you're gonna start out in the beginning with this, and you'll work your way through it. You've been there once already. That's the nice part is it probably at some point will click and go back to what the dog had done earlier. But if you allow the bad stuff to become so repetitious that it's equal to or greater than the quantity of the good stuff, what's become more habitual? What's become more habit forming? What everyone's done the most. So you did the right thing by stopping. Now it's fix it. And then it slowly progressed. Just like when you started out with the puppy, you didn't take the puppy out to the biggest open space with the most distractions and say, eh, let's start to retrieve here. You probably found success in a situation that helped you. Don't be afraid to use fence lines, tree lines, hallways, walls, 
building edges, changes in terrain, roads, driveways, paths, things that help the dog out. That's training. We're not testing dogs, we're training them. So let's see. Now, <laughs> we didn't even get to your concerns yet. Now, my two concerns regarding where we're at now, exercise versus training. This is a great one. Exercise versus training. Exercise is training. Training is exercise. That is the mentality that you must take on. You're concerned that he's not getting enough physical exercise needed. I'm saying start to exercise him mentally and physically at the same time. A dog that runs five miles in a dead out run with you on a four-wheeler, it's real easy to run these dogs and turn them into great athletes. It's real easy to condition them. We don't realize it because we're riding four-wheelers doing it and we're going, oh, it wasn't so bad. You run five miles and tell me that it's not so bad. I think we have to recognize and realize I go for walks with my dog because I realize that after a couple miles, I'm freaking tired. So if my dog, if I'm tired, I, ha I realize, boy, that was physical. I actually covered some ground. It's a different mentality than the guy who jumps on a four-wheeler cruises down in 30 seconds, a couple, couple miles. So what you, what you need to do though, is understand that it's hard for, a, it's athletic is, being athletic is easy. That's natural to a dog. Thinking about things is not. Thinking about things and being athletic together is chewing gum and riding a bike at the same time. It takes a little bit of coordination. So if we take a dog and let it run a couple miles, free will, doesn't think twice, or we tell a dog to be in good heel position and walk with me for a half a mile with five, 50 turns in between there, we cover a lot less ground, but we think the whole time and we still walked a half mile and a half mile, we still covered a mile. And if you add in your turns, you probably double that. So, or one and a half times anyway. So you're still getting some physical energy burnt off. You're still getting some exercise. You're still getting fresh air. You're still getting these things that are good for the dog, but you're also challenging them mentally as well. And the mental part can be more exhausting than the physical. I know people that literally come home from work more tired after sitting in a desk and working on a computer for eight straight hours than someone who goes and does physical labor for eight hours. The mental, the mental one can be more tired than the physical. Part of it has to do with the physical one does it every day and becomes so conditioned to it. Eight hours of physical work doesn't tire them out anymore. The mental one, you, you drain yourself out mentally. You can't build up your mental endurance as well as you can your physical. Now, I think you can do a degree, but I don't think you can do it apples to apples. So I think we have to understand, you have to understand it's not... I do think it's a balance of physical stuff and mental stuff that's needed. Um, you said his body language is flat when he's training and he disengages him from the exercise. Change things up. I think dogs get flat if we bore them. Try to think outside the box a little bit on how you can break this mold. We all get in a rut with our training. Figure out something to change it up without throwing everything out the window concentrate and focus on your main goals but just find a different way to do it that can be my dog taylor gets terribly bored with everything we do until we get to being challenged a little until she's challenged a little bit once she's challenged a little bit she gets like a little puppy again because all of a sudden she goes man this is kind of fun so i do think you have to take you have to take a look at that uh let's see as summer is around the corner i worry that spending this is i also wonder that we will spend our time stuck in yard work and not be able to take him out in the woods and walks for walks and training sessions. Walks and training sessions in the woods 
should be stimulating. I, I don't think I don't think you first off, don't look at yard work as being stuck. Look at you get the chance to do yard work. You got a yard. I mean if you're doing yard work, you got a yard. Things are good. There's a lot of people that don't have yards. And they go, I wish I just had a yard to do yard work. What a difference in mindset when you look at it as I'm stuck doing my yard work or I get to do my yard work. So I think it's a mentality thing. And so don't necessarily, but, but doing the yard work doesn't mean that you have to do the exact same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over to the point that you get bored with it. Again, keep things fresh, be creative. Um, taking the dog out on the walk for woods. Yeah, I think you can do that. You should do that. You can do that, but you need to have the yard work to have the control to be able to put the dog in a situation that's a little more tempting, a little more distracting. Or what happens? You go out there and you get a dog that just does his own thing and you're banging your head against the wall and pissed, emailing me and going, I take my dog out and I lose all his focus. It's because you didn't do the first part. You can't go to Z if you haven't done A. And you can't go from A to Z. You got to do B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, O, P. You got to get all that stuff in between. So, um, Man, it was a great question. It probably went a little longer. Well, how long are we at? Fifty Almost seven. An hour. Almost an hour. And, and you know, and I, like I said, I do think that this is a great question that a lot of people probably don't have the exact scenario as Julian, Therese, and Loki. But I bet you there's a lot of people that have parts and pieces of it. I I hope you guys um, get some help from this, Julian. I hope this helps with. And, and if it doesn't, send me a message. You know. Hey, this, I still have this. You know, that's a lot. You know how, you know how hard that, I could have wrote that back. Um, it wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been able to touch on as much stuff. So I think it was a real good, I think it was a real good topic for a podcast. Um, it goes back to kind of our, our old format. This one, this was an email. Um, Julian, I'm not sure exactly how you got my email address. I'm glad you did. Um, but, you know, the, and, and not that it's hidden. I mean, it's on our packaging. Mm -hmm. It's our my cell phone numbers on our packaging. So um, it, he, he probably, I'm assuming he probably saw it. Could have been on a Facebook post. I put my email on there a lot too. Um, so it was, a, it was good to go back to just a straight up question. Um, this was an email as opposed to Facebook, as opposed to Instagram. And I don't know that it really matters. I, what I do want to try to do is be able to hit every aspect of the questions that come in. And we're going to do that podcast live tonight. Um, you know, we don't get to answer every question, unfortunately. Tonight's going to have a specific topic. I know we won't answer questions off the topic because we're going to have a hard time covering the topic in the hour. And we're going to limit it to an hour because we're going to do it on Instagram Live and we only have an hour. So that's kind of a great way for us to be forced to be efficient with it. So great question. Uh, hope it helps. Keep me posted. Uh, love the idea of the international flair. Um, just in recent, I think it's from Instagram. Uh, I hashtagged Finnish sauna a couple times, and I've gotten a bunch of followers from Finland and different, uh, some different uh, European things. And I, I think it's not that they necessarily just found us because of it. I think they've messaged because of it. And now some of them, I think, have started following because of it. But we've gotten all of a sudden some feedback and some questions and stuff from people. Um, that are overseas. YouTube has gotten quite a few. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I just think it's awesome. I think it's an example of technology gets a bad rap. Like social media gets a terrible rap. Like I can't tell you how many people, it's almost to the point where I have a hard time looking at some posts in feeds because there's so many people that are so negative and, oh, Facebook this and Facebook that. And, and I go, well, it is what you make of it. Like if you use it properly, and I'm not here to say 
it's right or wrong, but used the right way, it's fantastic. So quit banging on the idea of technology sucks and social media is all bad and all that. No, it just depends on how you use it. And I look at this and I go, man, this is why it's so awesome. Because diff these people that I would never be able to connect to, people that I would never be able to help, people that I would never be able to get feedback from are able to, to you know, kind of take this in um, and we're able to we're able to share as much stuff as we can these days. And I think it's fantastic. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you, uh, Julian, Therese, and Loki from our new friends from Norway. We'll talk to you guys soon. Keep uh, following YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, at Dogbone Hunter. Uh, if you would like and subscribe uh, to this podcast and share it with someone, uh, do me one favor, share it with someone that you think it might help. Appreciate it, and we will talk soon.